Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello and welcome to another Lockdown edition of The Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison and on this week's edition, Lockdown at Sundown. The unprecedented measures in the economy last week have now been followed up with an Italian-style full closure of all but essential shops. Is the government finally getting its approach right, should these measures have come in sooner? Meanwhile, the biggest issue facing the planet is suddenly, somehow, a secondary concern. Will Corona provide a moment for radical effort on climate change? Award-winning environmental campaigner Natalie Fee is on hand to tell us more. And what will the planetary shut in due to culture and the arts. Do live music, theatre and TV deserve the same help as pubs and restaurants if they're ever going to return to rude health? All this and more in this week's edition of The Bunker. Bad news is, our live show, The Bunker vs. Romaniacs, which was planned for Thursday 2nd of April at Leicester Square Theatre, is of course off. We're rescheduling for Tuesday 22nd of September. All tickets are still valid and we'll be able to announce the special guests soon. The good news is, The Bunker Daily is coming. Starting tomorrow, we'll be putting out short daily podcasts of one-to-one conversations about the news and beyond with people we like. They'll come out on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays, the days when the main big podcast doesn't come out, and you'll see them on your regular Bunker feed. Tweet us at Bunker underscore pod to let us know what you think. Okay, as with last week's podcast, we are recording from a variety of locations. So let's say hello to our guests in their own respective bunkers across the UK. Making a second appearance on the podcast, it's Best for Britain CEO, Naomi Smith. Hello, Naomi. Do you read me? Are you there? Reading, reading. Yes, I'm here. Loud and clear. How's, how's the life of self-isolation treating you? Well, I think like most people, it's horrible, uh, miserable. Um, and when I walk around my beloved Pimlico on my one exercise of the day, it is truly like something out of 28 days later out there. Um, so I miss my family. I miss my amazing team at Best for Britain. I miss my friends. And it really does, unfortunately, feel like there's this sort of real end of days vibe to everything. But at least I get to chat with you lot on a show once or twice a week. So that's, that's lovely. true. Last night's big announcement from Boris Johnson, I think we're probably all going to remember that for the rest of our lives, aren't we? Did did the substance of it come as a surprise to you, the, the severity? No surprise at all. Um, the Financial Times published a chart quite a few days ago now that showed the curves of several different countries from the time lapsed since the 10th death recorded in those countries. And the UK curve is steeper than Italy's, more in line with Spain's. Um, China, Iran and South Korea have already managed to flatten their curves. So abandoning all the nonsense nudge stuff and the herd immunity crap was absolutely bound to happen. Totally welcome it. Definitely wish it had been sooner. Um, But I also just think that Britain really is a bloody strange place. The Tory government have managed 
to maneuver and delay just enough so that we all feel like this is our fault um, rather than their failure to get to grips with the gravity of the pandemic in the first place. Um, and Dominic Cummings remains a master of, of public manipulation, I think. Um, and of course, it's optically very important for the government to frame it as them really not wanting to resort to this um, if they have any chance with their own voters in the future. Um, but of course, they wanted to resort to it and they are panicked by um, the data. Also returning to the bunker today is stand-up comedian, writer and broadcaster, Ahir Shah. Hello, Ahir. Are you there? Can you hear us? I, I am, yes, indeed. Whereabouts are you? Uh, I am responsibly at my flat. Uh, we've sort of <laughs> converted the dining table into a home office where my girlfriend and I sit opposite one another, uh, sort of shielded from one another's view by our monitors. Uh, and it all feels it, it weirdly it feels more like I have an office job than I've ever felt in my life despite the fact that I have been effectively made indefinitely redundant by a micro <laughs> there you go you can start disciplining yourself and telling yourself off for being late you should be on tour now as well shouldn't you the, are you coping with sudden knee time okay well, the, um, the the tour part really finished on the 15th, so uh, that, that bit uh, was over and done with, but the the kind of end of the tour was supposed to be on uh, a week, uh, ne- next week, Tuesday, uh, where I was going to be uh, filming it uh, at the South Bank Centre, uh, which obviously is going to be postponed. And yes, it, it, it is a weird one. For, yeah, you know, I'm a self-employed person whose job it is to put large numbers of people in confined spaces that is like not feasible remotely from a public health perspective for God knows how long. Um, so on the one hand, that's all scary equally if a professional, uh, sort of hit is the only hit that really comes into uh, my life. Then I will count myself extremely lucky. Yeah. As, as Nomi was just saying, uh, Britain is revealing itself uh, to be a bit of a weird place. And we're seeing uh, quite a lot of backlash from the, the kind of unofficial Freedom Caucus uh, out, out in the world. Brendan O'Neill saying that Britain without its pubs is not Britain. The Telegraph going with the front page with the headline, The End of Freedom. I mean, d- what do you make of this? Is it odd that people who've been banging on about the Blitz spirit for years have suddenly collapsed at the first sign of an actual real crisis? <laughs> there almost certainly is a vast degree of mythologizing about the extent to which uh, people have been unified really during any crisis. Uh, and I don't know a, a lot of these people who think that they would have behaved in a very particular way uh, during the 1940s were blissfully not uh, around at the time. But yes, it's like, I, I like going to the pub. I also really like my mum not being dead. <laughs> so that's- Yeah. It's not much to give up, is it, to get your mum around, you know, have a pint <laughs> later. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say hello to our guest award-winning environmentalist, founder of the City to Sea campaign and patron of the Women in Sustainability Network, Natalie Fee. Hello, Natalie. How are you? I'm very well. I'm happy to say. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in Bristol in a, in a very small little thing that one might call a spare room, but it's very small. <laughs> it's not a spare room anymore. It's a, it's a headquarters. It's a bunker. It's a command yeah. module. We have to start thinking in these, in these terms because apparently we've, we've, all been, uh, we've all been enlisted into, uh, into the effort. So uh, how did you come to, uh, you know, how did you come to be involved in, in sustainability stuff and particularly climate change stuff? Well, I mean, for me, it was, it was actually plastic was, was the thing that, that got me, not because I wanted to save the seas, but actually because I decided that I needed to do something about the albatross chicks um, 
thousands of miles away from any major landmass. Not that I even have any relationship with albatross either, but I saw this particularly gripping and harrowing clip back in 2014, which really um, showed me the, the severity of the the plastic pollution problem and just what it was doing to marine wildlife. And that was what got my attention. I mean, I've always been into nature. I was working in TV and media at the time, but they didn't want to back in 2014, 2015 do environmental programming because it was seen as too worthy and boring. Um, even though it's probably the most important thing that we should all be talking about. Um, so yeah, so I went on from there and I set up city to sea and it's just, it's just snowballed from there. We've got 32 staff working from home at the moment. Wow. And, and you've recently released a book called How to Save the World for Free, which is probably, given the events of the past few days, rather optimistic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> um, well, actually, I think sort of with people being at home, maybe now's a good time. They can get to grips with it. Um, yeah, I felt like it was time sort of four years into the, the the plastic pollution problem and the campaigning work I've been doing with City to Sea to take that army of, of plastic pollution campaigners and activists on the journey to look at the wider issues that we're facing and the ecological emergency as well as climate breakdown. And, and I love writing, so I thought it was time for me to write a book. Um, and so that's what How to Save the World for Free is about. It sort of takes people onto the through the journey of what's really going wrong in the world and then what they can do about it. So how's your lockdown? We hope you're listening to this podcast on your one essential bit of exercise for the day. We've been living through the opening scenes of every apocalyptic movie you've ever seen. And last night, the Prime Minister announced what many hope will be the final act of it, but may well not be. All non-essential businesses are shut down, following on from last week's intervention by the Chancellor, the biggest in British history, with £330 billion injected into the economy in order to protect jobs and livelihoods across the nation. Schools closed their doors for the foreseeable future, with pupils now receiving predicted grades from their teachers in place of exam results. The UK is set to be a very different country over the coming weeks and months. Naomi, last night's announcement from Boris Johnson was pretty seismic and we've never seen such restrictions imposed on our daily lives. I think the country's kind of agreed that the measures are necessary. We've been told they'd be reviewed every three weeks. I mean, how long do you think we're going to be in this kind of limbo state? So, as you, as you mentioned, the official government um, uh, update is that they will review this in three weeks' time. Um, but most commentators are saying that that is hugely unrealistic in terms of a time frame for when sanctions could be lifted, particularly if we look to other countries. Um, I think we do need to keep an eye very closely on today and tomorrow's um, uh, new case figures coming out of Italy uh, because they seem to potentially have peaked and it would be wonderful news if they had. Um, and of course, they have been in lockdown now for um, around the three-week mark. So it may be that we can relax them then, but it, it's unlikely most people expecting this to go on for quite a while. When we read the Imperial paper that was um, form, forming the basis of the SAGE advice that the government were pouring over last week, it seems that what we're looking at is lockdown for perhaps a couple of months, maybe even three, and then a bit of a reprieve over the summer when we have flattened that curve and and made sure that NHS critical care beds aren't being pressured by volume of people getting ill. We may have a, a, a bit of life back um, during July and August, some freedom, and then they're expecting the virus to have a resurgence again in the autumn. And that's typically the pattern um, that these viruses follow. So we could be 
back in some kind of isolation, um, physical distancing situation towards the end of the year as well. Oh, here, I mean, we've seen a transformation in the country in a week that uh, has has never been seen before. Um, you know, effectively, the country is what the sun has described as under house arrest, which seems to be rather inflammatory. Do you think that after you know five years or so of the blitz spirit being invoked and Britain can take it, and you know we've got the character and not you know we're, we're we're different from everywhere else? Does Britain actually have? The, the kind of character and the capacity to put up with this level of, of privation. I mean, you've seen a lot of uh, sort of interpersonal kindness and consideration at the same time as you've seen people shoving little old ladies out of the way for the last toilet paper in the shop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you've, you've got to, you've just got to hope that people are going to be able to put up with it. Right. Because at the moment it seems to me, you know, I know nothing. All all I do occasionally is like ring people who I know who are doctors, uh, but in this country and elsewhere are like, give it to me straight, doc, what's going on? <laughs> uh, and then that's terrifying. And so I'm just like, yeah, if, if you're going to get on telly and tell me not to leave the house, then I'm not going to leave the house because this does seem uh, extremely frightening. Obviously, I don't know what the psychological impact of spending months in this situation potentially uh will be but certainly the actual like this the known knowns uh here of what does happen if people don't stay the fuck away from each other and the nhs ends up getting entirely overwhelmed we we know what that looks like and that looks astonishingly ugly uh so yeah i'm just like this this is a terrible situation that's being forced upon us but if if it's what it takes then you sort of have to be like well i'll be responsible there i mean one one of the things that i've been disappointed about is that the government hasn't been doing facebook advertising um and if you remember in the in the run up to um 31st of October and then 12th of December, they were spending so much money on the Get Brexit Done campaign. They were spending um, on our podcasts, even. They were. They were spending they on a were. podcast that's that don't do Brexit. They were spending Brexit money on it. But also at the level of, I mean, you know, it's clearly the case that, uh, you know, disinformation is being used here. We, you know, there was a report, a report from Deutsche Welle that, uh, you know, Russian dis- disinformation is being poured into social media to obfuscate, uh, you know, what's really going on with the virus to sow disruption, to sow, um, you know, kind of, you know, dissent and, um, you know, a a, a mistrust of authority. And you would imagine that at the basic level, uh, Cummings in particular would understand that this is an information issue and that they should be playing they should be on the field at least and yet there's no there's not and actually the world health organization has probably been the best in trying to tackle uh disinformation and if you go on their twitter you can um add a mobile number to your phone and send a whatsapp saying hi and it will give you automatically the latest facts and myth busting and numbers that you need to know um and they are doing that in an attempt to try and stop uh this awful spread of, of misinformation and that number is plus four one seven nine eight nine three one eight nine two. So plus four one seven nine eight nine three one eight nine two. I hear. I mean, it's not just Boris Johnson making uh, earth-shattering announcements. The the Rishi Sunak package uh, for workers that the government's going to cover eighty percent 
of your you know is is remarkable and um and uh, there's the kind of socialism that john mcdonald can only dream of but as a as a self-employed person uh you know you'll be very aware that uh the self-employed have yet to be included in this do you think it's inevitable that uh you know having encouraged us all to go into uh self-employment entrepreneurialism the gig economy um you know portfolio cvs and so forth that the government is going to have to turn around and also give the self-employed a similar uh consideration i think it pretty much is inevitable yes uh i'm sympathetic with the fact that there are so many hours in a day and this is something that people have never had to deal with before within living memory uh so stuff is going to take a bit of time uh to get and like i'm not you know utterly livid that i wasn't front of the queue uh for the info uh necessarily and you know i i am thrilled that obviously this isn't the circumstance i would have liked to have seen it in but it's very interesting uh that we finally ended up with a british indian as prime minister of the great britain uh of great britain and, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, i'm really glad about that i don't know why he insists on bringing the blonde clown guy with him on television, uh, but that's like, I don't know, maybe that's his, his mate or something who he's trying to keep in work. There is a great tradition, though, in uh, Indian cinema of the comedy sidekick, though, isn't there? So perhaps Bond yes. is playing that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it all, it all, it all starts yeah. to make sense now. Uh, and, you know, I mean, yeah. as long as the dance sequences have appropriate levels of social distancing, uh, I'm entirely okay with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So just finally, there was a remarkable story in the Sunday Times at the weekend by Tim Shipman and Caroline Wheeler, which went into the detail of that kind of squeal of tyres as the government went from, yeah, herd immunity to the kind of self-isolation lockdown thing. It described the single most frightening warning a British prime minister has received in eight decades. And at the core of it was a report that Dominic Cummings had said that, uh, you know, so they were going for herd immunity, protect the economy. And if that means some pensioners die too bad, and within a fortnight, he'd gone uh, over to, to shut down the country. Is this, was this the government's kind of ideological, uh, you know, interest in personal freedom getting in the way of what needed to be done? Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that they were uh, hoping to be able to protect the economy without too many deaths. Uh, and then when it realized that, no, no, there really will be too many deaths, they, they had to backtrack that. That seems to be um, the truth of what's come out of that piece. And it's a very, very good bit of journalism. And, you know, hats off to Tim Shipman and Caroline Wheeler for it. And uh, number 10, I think, have been trying to spin against it since. But, you know, Tim, Tim Shipman is is head boy of the political lobby and um, all the other journalists are backing him up on it as well. Um, it, it, it is a, a nonsense to try and discredit him on this piece. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, this really was um, the Cummings-esque um, uh, approach. Let's try. We've got to be seen to be um, fiscally responsible. We're known for it. It's why people vote conservative because they're worried about, um, you know, their economic status. So we've got to be seen to be protecting that and not going into free fall meltdown. And you know, it, it, it was just insane to do that when we could see how this virus was playing out over the rest of the country. Um, seeing as I'm not a eugenicist, like some of the people that Dominic Cummings wanted to hire, um, uh, I you know I can't necessarily comment on the. Extent to which they were, you know, doing fractions around the number of, you know, octogenarians you were prepared to sacrifice in order to, you know, 
keep GDP figures at a certain level. Um, but I think, you know, we've got to, we've got to remember that the economy is there to serve us and not the other way around. Um, and, uh, at least Rishi Sunak seems to be, um, getting the message on that one in terms of spending. I think, uh, I, I, have often been reminded of uh, the point at the end of the Big Short, where the two young guys, uh, having you know made the deal of a lifetime, are dancing in the casino, and Brad Pitt stops them uh, and mentions the fact that it, you know here's another number for every one percentage a point unemployment goes up, forty thousand people die. Did you know that? Um, which uh, and they were like, no, we didn't. Uh, and he's like, yeah, so just don't fucking dance uh, because. You know, if economy tanks, people lose jobs and homes and stuff like that. And that is also something to be legitimately concerned about, I think, uh, but is also not a fact that makes me want to cough in my grandma's face. I also think it's just like, you know, it's not as binary as that. We've got um, a nurse in her 30s with no underlying health conditions, critically ill in hospital uh, in the Midlands at the moment. Um, there are lots and lots of uh, other cases of, of young people dying from this. We had an 18-year-old die here in the UK. So this isn't a disease that is only hurting the elderly uh, and those with, with pre-existing conditions. So, you know, it, it's, it's not a simple uh, as saying, well, seeing as the young are going to be healthy and fine, it's all right. Um, and uh, it, yes, it is, It is. you know, right that as and when we come out of this, provisions are made in much better way for these younger people. But as we're about to hear from Natalie, you know, without a planet, there's no hope for them anyway in terms of their futures. And so I think if anything comes out of this crisis, hopefully it's a resetting of how we view the world, how we view, you know, our, our, our systems and structures and, um, and while wanting to avoid a totalitarian state, of course, um, maybe it is time to review how capitalism works finally um, and redistribute wealth and, and, and help younger generations far, far more. Let's move on to something more cheerful, climate change. This issue too is being shaped by coronavirus, but will it actually provide us with a reset button that we weren't really looking for? Global pollution has plummeted during the crisis. Both China and Northern Italy have recorded major falls in air pollution amid reduced industrial activity and fewer car journeys. Canals in Venice have seen an improvement in their water quality. Will the accompanying health crisis and economic slump pose a threat to long-term climate action though, with investment in clean energy sources placed on the back burner? Natalie Fee, climate change and sustainability are your area of expertise. Coronavirus has thrown a huge curveball into this. Um, you know, should we look at the falling pollution levels as, as a positive or, or, or is this just a kind of a, a, a false little aspect that we're, we're trying to tell ourselves that there's a silver lining to this? Well, I think, first of all, we should probably clarify that I'm not like a climate scientist or an, or an expert per se. I'm definitely more of a signposter. My doctorate is definitely an honorary one, so don't be fooled. Um, but yeah, I definitely think the you know the planet is the planet is taking a breather um, with all the things that you just mentioned that we're seeing around be, resulting because of the shutting down of industrial activity and travel around the world. Um, seeing the kind of sharp drops that we're starting to see, although people have been saying to me, "Oh, it's great, isn't it that um, nitrous oxide levels are falling?" <laughs> I kind of like, yeah, you mean nitrogen dioxide, not not the thing that people are. Yes kids are taking in balloons um so well then that's probably dropping I mean, too yeah i am seeing a lot fewer of them <laughs> in the background there 
I know. See, another That's side effect from, in the park. from the envi- another environmental side effect there. Um, mm. Yeah. So I mean, are we? You know, before this kind of racket ball came inside, uh, you know, from uh, an unexpected direction. Where we see new ways of dealing with carbon emissions that uh, you know that were coming that perhaps didn't require didn't require a global depression to make them happen. I mean, we're, all, we're always being told by you know kind of the, the the science libertarian end of things that we can innovate our way out of climate change. What are you seeing as a campaigner as as new ways of dealing with the carbon issue? Well, I think we we haven't been acting fast enough. Um, absolutely no way. And even the the sort of predicted sort of carbon capture technologies that are factored into us being carbon neutral by by twenty fifty. I mean, obviously, local governments have said uh, sort of around the UK have said twenty thirty. But with that twenty fifty target, even the carbon capture technologies that they're basing that on don't even exist yet. So um, I, I think that's that's still wishful thinking but i i am really excited by some of the things that that actually could realistically sequester a serious amount of carbon things like seagrass and and marine permaculture so like the blue carbon industry um they sequester huge amounts of carbon very fast they can um also act as a as a, a fuel source as a food source for us so um those i'd say sort of natural technologies that the earth has done for many years those are the things that actually don't cost us billions of pounds they don't require loads more concrete to build them which will create more co2 um in the process um and it's sort of a win-win also sort of creating more habitats um let's see as well so we've just seen uh you know a huge amount of um of activity around uh, extinction rebellion you know focusing the you know people's attention on the climate emergency it seems people can only deal with one emergency at a time do you think that what's happening now with corona is likely to to, to push carbon into the into the background what should we be doing to ensure that it isn't well, I mean, I am involved in Extinction Rebellion, um, not not deeply. I'd say I've got one foot in. <laughs> um, and I've just been really heartened to see, you know, how quickly actually they've mobilised and mobilised communities. And I think that was one of the things of this sort of devolved power that's very much embedded over, I think there's over sort of 350 groups around the UK. And very quickly they went into, right, how can we respond to the coronavirus crisis in our local communities? And how can we form WhatsApp groups? Um, and how can we support other volunteer things that are going on? So, yeah, whilst obviously climate change isn't in the headlines at the moment i think it's just it, it's giving us this opportunity to to build resilience in local communities which is what we're suddenly finding we all need to do we're, we're relying more on our local shops and our local food growers um and and, and through that we're actually getting a, a first-hand experience of what we we were most likely to have needed to done to do when when we start really feeling the impacts of of the of climate breakdown I also think that we are probably seeing um, that the kind of regime we would have to live under were we not to get in control of climate change. You know, it it will be mandated upon us to do things if, as I understand it, if um, 
temperatures do rise beyond a, a reasonable level if water shortages become even more of a chronic issue or an acute issue in, in certain places um, we, we just won't have the choice and the freedom and the liberty um, because the resourcing will be so scarce so I think this is almost like a dress rehearsal for us uh, this gotta, current lockdown. I gotta tell you guys I'm really looking forward to the bit at the end where we chat about something nice <laughs> yes don't worry you, you know that coming. last bit i've really coming. got that in the back i've got a good one as well and i like i've i'm i've spent the last 40 minutes getting a lot more frightened about everything without wanting to be captain bring down the international energy agency does warn that corona is likely to mean uh you know, less investment in clean energies particularly um because of the other economic issues that will need to be dealt with in in in, in the in this period of global depression, are you worried that that's likely to happen? You know, how could that investment be maintained? How, how, you know, what kind of areas will need it? I, I am worried. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we've kind of discovered this magic money tree in the UK at the moment, which is, on one hand, like, well, brilliant. Then we can afford to to fund the transitions that we need the, to fund the green transition. Um, so, but whether we have, you know, whether they're then going to say, well, the, you know. The, the, the pots run out now because we spent it all on dealing with the coronavirus obviously that's a concern I, I don't know which way it's going to go but obviously we, we would hope that we might see the government starting to fund those essential elements of the green transition and actually maybe they can create jobs for the people who've been hit the hardest. Glasgow's hosting the COP26 summit in November are you holding out much hope that it's going to make a difference particularly when the leaders will be very preoccupied still? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's going to have a negative impact on it. But to be honest, they should have been developing ways that we can do this kind of thing online anyway. Like, you know, I've just been invited to a, a carbon footprint conference um, that would have involved me flying there or, you know, taking three days to travel by train. You know, we, we again, this is one of those moments where we have to see, yes, actually, we can all get involved and do Zoom meetings. Um, you know, we don't have to actually be there in person. So, uh I do think it, you know, my sense is it is going to delay, um, delay those changes. But my my hope still with local governments um, who are pushing forward those changes anyway will be that they continue to do that. Also, I kind of feel like, it, sorry, can I just uh, ask on, on the previous like um, point about the financial implications for these industries? I suppose a lot of it is, as with everything, going to be questions of choices and priorities, right? Because the cruise ship industry is existentially fucked as a result of this and if there is even however large a sum of money it is fundamentally a finite sum of money then a choice has to be made i suppose of like do we bail out the cruise ship industry which is a extremely polluting and exclusively leisure thing uh or do we give the money towards helping people who installed solar farms who are in trouble or whatever or you know working out how we can get those ships to be fixing our offshore wind farms or something like that. Yeah, and we've seen that recently with the sort of the choice that we had to to bail out Flybe um, and to keep, I think it was Exeter Airport open. And I think we are going to have those those decisions. And, and I, I hope, you know, with the, with the recent decision not to expand Heathrow, that we start rolling those decisions out as, as these opportunities, you know, Obviously, the, the cruise ship industries wouldn't see it as an opportunity, but certainly from an environmental perspective, we are going to have some important decisions. So, yeah, I think that will be 
down to us as individuals and and the campaigning organizations to make sure we give people a way of communicating that our our wishes for them to focus on planet positive decisions at this time just finally before we move on the the corona crisis is is the definitive global crisis it respects no boundaries uh, it respects uh, no kind of national jurisdictions and it comes at the end of a period when when countries have been retreating into nationalism and into into borders and boundaries do we think that after this particularly as it relates to climate change which is the other you know definitively global issue are we likely to see a more global approach as a result of the corona crisis on climate change do we think again i i think i think that's the the choices that that we have um i I would like to think that it does give us a sense. I think especially today, the government announced that we're going to be seeing food restrictions um, on imports in the UK because of the restrictions on travel. So it changes our perspective and makes us remember how connected we are globally. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think... I think this is this is an important time for us to to remember that and and you're seeing sort of you know again with doctors sort of flying around the world to come and support us Chinese doctors flying over to Italy I think it is a way that we can grow in global solidarity Finally, we might all be hunkering down with those DVD box sets and Booker Prize winning novels that we always wanted to get round to, but might culture itself become significant collateral damage in the corona crisis? Theatres and cinemas have closed, Glastonbury is off for a year, and the live touring industry for music, comedy and dance are all in limbo. Not the good kind of limbo either. And it's not just about the stuff that would have come out this year. Filming and recording for future movies and TV from EastEnders and Holy City to Succession has been suspended indefinitely. So even when we emerge from corona lockdown, we could be looking at a dearth of new ways to look at the times we live in. How can we save the culture industries? Or will the early 2020s become a lost decade for creative industries that don't just make life worth living, they pump £10.8 billion into the UK economy? Oh, here you've uh, just come off tour. How hard a blow is this for the for the stand up and the theatre industries in particular, which are full of self employed people? Yeah, uh, I mean, a, a phenomenal blow. There's no way to sugarcoat it. It's just the fact that oh, this thing that you relied on to put a roof over your head and food on your table can no longer exist uh, under the current uh, circumstances that we're now forced to live in, um, and like. That's no one's fault, uh, but at the same time, is means that the future for me and my colleagues does look extraordinarily precarious, uh, right? Uh, like, the, so the filming of the special has been postponed. My diary, where I've got all of my live dates uh, up on a spreadsheet in front of me, I've just coloured a lot of it in red because that's the stuff that's already been cancelled, and I know that there's other stuff um, that will be so. That is, it is an actively um, scary position for us to be in, uh, really. And I'm just hoping that, you know, by the time that people are listening to this, maybe uh, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will have said something about uh, the future for us as self-employed people. Uh, And I just sort of, you know, got to cross my fingers and wait for that to happen. And also one thing that I've been uh, seeing a lot of on Twitter and what have you is people uh, reminding others that, you know, if, while they're maybe employees who've been uh, told to work from home or furloughed and the government are going to uh, match a certain degree of salary uh, and you get into a situation where it's like, oh, yeah, I'll watch all the box sets, I'll read all the books and stuff. It's like, 
the people who made that stuff uh, are not in as secure a position uh, now. And it is perhaps important to think about them so that in the future you will still have stuff to watch and what have you. Yeah, and we've heard a lot about how restaurants and bars and cafes and so on are you know precarious, they're on tight margins, it'll be very hard to get them going again once uh, you know, after the, uh, you know, if, if they were to, um, you know, close fully rather than just being suspended. But mm. gig oh, venues, if Padella closes um, for good, yeah, then London will fall. <laughs> mm, there you go, yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, you know, gig venues and, uh, you know, stand-up places, theatres um, are just as precarious, just as kind of, um, you know, uh, just as on the edge, running with just as tight margins. And they too provide work for, you know, countless ancillary people. And yet it doesn't seem to rate in the same way. There isn't, nobody's talking about a culture emergency the way they're talking about a pubs, clubs and restaurants emergency. Mm. Well, to a certain degree, you know, like I do appreciate that, like, I'm under no illusion that the thing that I have chosen to do for a living is like, uh, inverted commas, luxury good, right? Like in a way that a restaurant, you do fundamentally have to eat or you will die. Uh, whereas I, and I could go very lofty on my high horse about like, but what is it that actually makes life worth living? You, you need food. You need, you fundamentally need to have a meal, uh, in your belly. So I can understand again, as I said before, I understand why we weren't front of the queue. I just very much hold out hope that uh, we, we are indeed in the queue and won't just be sort of left off the back of it. Well, the counter argument is that you can't expect people to go through extreme privation like we're probably going to go through without actually giving them a bit of fun in their lives. And, and you have seen, you know, I think the BBC, we'd all agree, has been been pretty impressive the way it's pivoted around to develop stuff that serves people's needs where they are um you know the the, the idea that you can simply live a utilitarian life and it's all about just getting food on the plate and then existing you know the the arts and culture do matter no me i mean the, the industry generates 23 billion pounds and 363,000 jobs according to the arts council and scarcely scarcely rates are mentioned from government we hear endlessly about fishing which employs 24,000 people and contributes 1.4 billion do you think our government downgrades culture as industry? I mean, whenever you fly in, you see the culture is great, music is great, posters everywhere, and yet it doesn't seem to back that up with activity. No, um, and I've I've heard quite a few Tories uh, refer to DCMS as the, the Department of Fun. You know, so it's just that that's that's party planning and fun stuff. It's, it's not. That sounds like the best department. Of, of, <laughs> see they're, they're master spinners of public information and manipulation yeah. of the mind um, uh, but i mean the government of course is gonna have to help these industries we do want to live in a society where we still have arts and of course you know for them they love the high arts um it's the lowly arts that, that they they uh you know turn their noses up at so it's as, as as we've seen the taps be turned on once the rich have felt precarious uh, when when some of them won't have opera and ballet to consume. Hopefully yeah, it'll change the course. Yeah, I think the, the opera singers will be fine quicker could... than the clowns, for sure. You're right. <laughs> um, uh, but I, obviously the, the, the one thing they really could do to help well, once we're through this is to review the immigration policy um, and looking at freedom of movement um, for artists and musicians and 
um, others because uh, you know Pretty Patel's uh, measures and the points-based system uh, so disproportionately penalise those those sectors. And and you know this is exactly what I think they're going to have to revisit. We we do need to support them. None of us want to live in a world where there isn't lovely new episodes of succession i mean that's the one that upset me andrew when you mentioned it if i'm honest i really don't care about um uh eastenders and holby city but you you drop succession in there can i just confirm have they have they is is season three in post-production or did they have to stop filming (laughs) they had to stop filming oh fuck Uh, (laughs) that that is a disaster let's call this I'm not sure I agree with you when you, when you say that, uh, you know, it's about the opera singers and the and, and the kind of high culture thing. When you look at, you know, a lot of the very influential figures in the in the right wing commentaria, they are pop culture people. Paul Staines, Guido Fawkes, he's a former rave promoter. You know, these people are not, you know, the, the world of hedonism and the world of enjoyment shouldn't be alien to tourism. They're supposed to be the freedom people. They're supposed to be the enjoy yourself people. It's not entirely represented by the pretty Patel, Dominic Ra, Britannia Unchained thing that says, well, the, you know, the British are rubbish because all they care about is pop music and football. That's all I care about. That's, you know, pop music and football are what makes life worth living. And surely that is central to the Tory ideal of freedom and kind of self-expression. And you should be able to build a business around it. That's what I just don't get. You know, the idea of, 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 sort of treating culture as the other when it should be not just a financial engine room, but it should be central to their philosophy of individuality. That's why I just can't get my head around it. Andrew, can you defend my entire industry, please? If we, well, if we, need, some, if we need someone to rep us, then I'm definitely going to suggest you, because that was much better than anything I could have come up with. I, I, I'll do what I can. Shut Stuart Harrison. Yeah, I am puzzled by the psychological aspect of it, though, because you have seen actual glee from the right-wing commentariat about the about music events and theatre events being off. Julia Hartley Brewer said when Glastonbury was cancelled, she said, what in the eye for the snowflakes? It's like, have you ever been to Glastonbury? You've got to be on your feet for 18 hours a day. You get three hours sleep. You're in mud and trenches. You're battering yourself with booze and loud music. You might not like it, but it's certainly not for snowflakes. It's not for this kind of lily-livered, weak-kneed thing that they seem to believe the arts are. I, I, you know, they, uh, presumably this is why we call it a culture war. But then you get <laughs> well, you know, people, very, like, yeah. uh, people like Julia uh, Harleyborough and Brendan O'Neill are always sort of going to be like, the, their business model is just contingent on who are the people who I'm expected not to like, let's laugh at them for not being able to do the thing that they were. It's just, yeah. it's just a, it's, it's just a, it's, it's, a, it's a money-making scheme uh, rather than any sincerely held opinion, I think. So, yeah, I agree with that. Natalie, as a, as a carbon campaigner, do you see a chance for a reset in, in, in you know, the expensive stuff, the filming and the content creation? You know, Game of Thrones is made in, uh, in Dubrovnik, Iceland, um, Ireland, Belfast. Wales, Belfast, all over everywhere. Um, you know, do you see that, I mean, much as we love this stuff, there's a hell of a lot of air miles involved. Do you see it as a, an opportunity to kind of reset that and maybe make things either using technology or using different kind of creative approaches? That's uh, There are a lot of single room dramas that are going to be made in the aftermath of this. No one's got to be fucking There's going to be a lot, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. Natalie, what do you think? Well, I recorded my first um, online talk yesterday for the London Climate Change Festival, which was obviously cancelled, and that um, was supposed to launch on Monday, the twenty third of March. So they're trying to take their talks online. Um, 
I did wonder if I was doing myself out of a future job doing talks when it's like, well, you can just watch it for free online now. Um, but I think it is, it, you know, it, it is making us think differently about how we do that. But I don't know. I personally, at the moment, I feel like there's a lot of pressure around for everyone to pivot and, and like make the most of, of this and sort of come up with a new offer and, and everyone's offering online this, that and the other. When actually I think, as a nation and, and certainly as individuals, and I can speak for myself, that I feel like we actually need a little bit of time to adjust um, and to process what's going on. And and actually there's a lot of emotions around what's going on. And uh, for a lot of us, we have, well, I don't know a lot of us, I've got a loved one that's ill. And so I think, I think it is also a time for us to maybe, could we possibly just take some time to slow down um, and and yes, of course, where possible, if if we are supposed to be out and communicating with our fans and our audience, if there is a way that they can still support us online uh, through Patreon or other things where they can fund us, then I think that's great. There's certainly something that's going to happen to, I mean, I just alluded to it, something that's going to happen to the content because certain staples of fiction, you know, teenage and college life, pubs, you know, the Queen Vic and Rover's Return, these things... As with all major events, suddenly, you know, you see them on TV and they just don't look right. You know, you see TV adverts of people gaily running around cities from bar to bar. They just don't land properly anymore. And it's going to it's gonna change the way people conceive of fiction, isn't it? Watching people yeah, on telly, I mean, like, I mean, holding think... hands and stuff is weird. Shaking hands and hugging. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, I mean, my, my son is nearly 17 and he's feeling pretty devastated about the fact that he's now possibly not going to be able to see his girlfriend, his friends for a few weeks. Well, the festivals have been cancelled and, and he's like, Mom, my summer's completely ruined. But I think, well, you know, actually, can I remember my summer when I was 17? I don't think I can. And I think that actually, you know, we will find other ways of being more creative at home and, and Mine was more with excellent. our families. <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you can remember it <laughs> spectacularly good <laughs> yeah just just to wrap this up i mean the bbc has, 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 mm. you know, has done very well do we think the bbc has has uh, managed to uh, embrace the crisis unity and save its bacon auntie has bought herself 20 years I don't think so. I think there's still four and a half years left of this government to meddle with it further. So, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to hold my breath that it's it's totally safe, but I'm obviously, you know, thrilled with how they've reacted to it. Um, uh, and in terms of, you know, the kind of future programming that's going to be coming out, um, I hope to be alive to find out. <laughs> yeah. And I just don't believe that the destruction of the BBC is something that Prime Minister Sunak would want on his record. (laughs) Okay, we've come to the end of the podcast, and this is where we usually ask the panel for their escape routes from politics. For the first time in history, we can save the human race by staying at home and listening to music, watching telly and reading a book. So how are our panel escaping from politics and saving the world at the same time? Naomi, what's your go-to while social distancing from politics? I watch dog videos on YouTube. Dog I watch videos. a lot of them. I watch a lot of them. If anyone wants me to compile a list of my top ten, I can. Uh, there is nothing more soothing for me than sitting down to a good session of watching. Um, okay, if you if you Google one thing to see what I'm on about, um, go for Golden Retriever Spaghetti Eating Competition on YouTube, and you won't regret it. It is absolute pure joy. 
golden so, yeah. retriever spaghetti eating competition <laughs> were actually going to headline Glastonbury this year. And sort of got <laughs> are, there, are, there, are there dog video people and cat video people? Are they two different tribes? You never can't talk to one another. No, that they are. But then, I mean, I'm not saying I don't watch cat videos as well. Um, and there, I, I, you know, I have a fairly decent repertoire of those. If if anyone would would like me to to, to give you them, <laughs> but I think for ultimate soothing ness uh it's the dogs that give you joy uh it's the cats that will make you laugh um but if you want comfort and joy go for the dogs (laughs) natalie what what are you using as your escape route to save the world via the medium of entertainment i'm gonna i'm gonna slightly challenge naomi although she's got an amazing carbon footprint as it is because she's vegan but in terms of all the increased data that we're all using doing now we're doing online streaming and everyone's streaming loads more content as well we're using up masses amount of data which obviously has its own carbon impact so um so i think we need to be doing a bit of extra offsetting at the moment i know offsetting isn't the answer but like you know investing in some blue carbon offsetting schemes i think is really important at this time to save the world whilst whilst we're home isolating um and for me my escape route is and always is meditation going okay? exploring the inner world it's free it doesn't use any carbon um and um and yeah there's a whole other realm in there to explore that's the best uh, sales pitch i've ever heard for meditation it's free that's the kind of thing <laughs> that i can really get behind <laughs> Watch a DVD, plant a tree. Ah, uh, here. How about you? What are you? What are you uh, cocooning yourself? Uh, well, with? this is a. Uh, this has reminded me that uh, so far this uh, this afternoon I have not taken the medication that I take daily in order to silence my inner world. Uh, so I will be doing that after we uh, after we <laughs> uh, from the conversation. Um, I have been two two strong recos uh, for y'all. Uh, so. Number one, Noughts and Crosses. Not finished it yet, but on iPlayer and exquisite. Oh, yeah. um, good one. It's really, really. I'm halfway through it at the moment. It's it's just been phenomenal. We can't we can't watch it every night because it is heavy. Uh, but it's just yeah for anyone who doesn't know anything about it. Basically, like racism's worse sort of thing. And then also, kind of just I want to recommend one more thing, uh, which is. Uh, we've got a massive list of our favorite uh, historic Simpsons episodes. Uh, and once you get cracking on making the list, you realize that there's way more uh, than you than you ever think. So the list is up like 50 strong now. And it's it's pretty powerful stuff. Well, I think it's all starting on um, Disney Plus, isn't it? So people will, will be locked mm. indoors and will be able to like increase their carbon footprints. I'm sorry, Natalie, by watching it on uh, Disney Plus. My recommendation, I'm afraid, is also a streaming thing. It's uh, Tiger King on Netflix. You have never seen anything as insane as this. It's in the world of private zoos in America, uh, particularly big cat people. Pretty much the first thing you hear is that uh, you know the monkey people. You know they're kind of you can deal with them. Uh, the uh, you know the kind of red breeds people are interested, but the tiger, the big cat people are completely insane. And the story of uh, zookeeper Joe Exotic and his the true story and how he gets involved um, in a murder plot will curl your hair so if you're stuck indoors and you don't want to be thinking about coronavirus certainly watch tiger king murder mayhem and madness to kind of give it away there oh yes please like up your streets and that is the end of this week's bunker thank you to our panel natalie fee uh, thanks for coming in um and uh you're gonna go out now and enjoy your one walk allowed for the day i'm gonna make it a run Definitely, I really need to burn some stuff off. I've been sat in my in my bunker for two days now doing online stuff, so yeah. it's going to be a run. 
How many snacks is too many snacks? Do we have a view on that? Because I'm doing too much snacking and not enough running during this. One more than whatever the number of snacks you have already (laughs) consumed is. Good answer. It's always N plus one. Yeah. Got it. SN plus one. Snack plus one. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, and thank you to Ahir Shah and to, and to Naomi Smith. Um, we'll have you back on the bunker and indeed remaining experts soon. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Subscribe to the bunker on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at bunker underscore pod. And there'll be a bunker daily along pretty soon as well. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week. The bunker was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison with Ahir Shah and Naomi Smith. Audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Scripting by Jacob Archbold. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Bunker.